See, look, if anybody <laughs> wants me to be part of their B-52's revival, please do, because I would I would love to rock lobster. <laughs> I I would love to be that person. That's a great idea. Thank you. So many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have A.E. Osworth, Austin Osworth, joining us in the Zoom damn library hyperspace. Welcome. Austin is the novelist and writer responsible (laughs) 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 for We Are Watching Eliza Bright. They are a part-time faculty at the New School where they teach digital storytelling to undergraduates. They've spent eight years writing all over the internet, including a stint as geekery editor for Autostraddle. Their work has also been published in Quartz, Catapult, Electric Literature, Guernica, and Paper Darts, among others. And we are so excited that you're joining us. Woo! I am so excited to be here. <laughs> and the people living living out there in radio land <laughs> should know that you are also my client because yes. in in the interest of full disclosure <laughs> so that's cool so i know this book very very well and i'm so excited to be talking about it it's one of my favorite things that i've ever gotten the chance to work on oh thank you christopher yeah you've really seen it it was a real different book when i showed it to you the first time that is true <laughs> And we will get into that. But the, but before we get there, before we get anywhere, I need to tell you about the drink that your book inspired me to make. And I'm calling it the Sixterhood, which is just, I, I love this voice of the book. I love where this came from and where it ended up. And I just thought it'd be fun to think of a cocktail with six ingredients that was a little extra and a little wild and a little <laughs> alcoholic. Um, and so I, I was I, I was thinking a, um, a Paloma variant because I've been loving Palomas and it's such a spring drink. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of, a Paloma is basically sort of like a, I mean, in its classic easiest form, it's just, it's almost like a gin and tonic, but it's tequila and grapefruit soda and lime. So I've decided to make that really difficult. And um, I, I infused the tequila with jalapeno. Um, and I infused, I also added some Aperol to this that I infused with strawberry. Um, and then I have grapefruit juice, lime juice, simple syrup, and seltzer. So that's six ingredients. Huh? Uh, and uh. and you mix it all up, you get this lovely pink orange concoction that is too easy to drink, but also, luckily, you've got that kick at the back of your throat from the jalapeno, from the spiciness, to remind you, like, yes, this is indeed very alcoholic, and you should be careful. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've made my work cut out for me for the small book party I am throwing in my home because I am <laughs> going to I am going to make these. I, they sound so good, and I do not have the ingredients right now because. You, jalapeno infused tequila Uh. (laughs) here's here's the thing about jalapeno infused tequila that um is important is you shouldn't really leave leave it infusing for that long um you only want a few hours if you leave it for a few days you're gonna get really really spicy (laughs) maybe too spicy um tequila and the and you can also do your for strawberry infusing aperol same thing you don't you only need a couple hours of infusion although that does not get crazy if you leave it in there for longer um but both of these you can make pretty close to your book party with your pod people that's awesome oh good um excellent <laughs> so that is the drink it's the sixterhood i hope everybody makes one because it is a super fun sipper for home drinking and you and you know you sound really cool because you infuse things but really it's just like cutting up stuff and putting it into it like a mason jar with the with your liquor it's not that difficult anyway. and i'm so glad that you that you did the sixterhood because it is perhaps no secret that 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 the sixterhood is my favorite part of the book <laughs> <laughs> well the other part of the book is super you know oh excellent <laughs> That it's a scary voice to be in. Um, but you know, there again, we have to do the show in order. 
Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do not write linearly. <laughs> so uh, what do we do next, Drew? We do what you buy. All right, so you you talk, Drew. What did you buy? Start us off. I'm going to talk about some reissues and reprints that have recently come over the transom. Uh, two of them are recommended to us ages ago by our dear friend Nosley. Um, mm-hmm. Laurie Colwyn is getting a, a beautiful set of matching reissues and two books, Goodbye Without Leaving and A Big Storm Knocked It Over. Both just came in. and. I couldn't figure out if it was Nosley. I wasn't near my computer and I texted her and was like, hey, was this? And she was like, oh my God, yes, you have to read them immediately. And so <laughs> anytime you get that response about a book, very exciting. Totally. Uh, and then the other is from this Canadian small press. It's a horror press called Undertow, uh, Undertow Publications run by Michael Kelly. And once a year, he takes a classic, like a modern classic of horror that hasn't gotten a hardcover edition and makes a absolutely transcendently beautiful hardcover edition of a hundred, I think. Uh, and last year's was John Langan's The Fisherman. And I was too slow to get in on it, but had been emailing back and forth. I had um, submitted a story for his weird horror magazine that he didn't pick up, but he said some nice things about it. And we started talking and I was like, hey, you know, I, ah, oh, man. And he was like, actually, I have a printer's copy. Do you want one? And I was like, oh. <gasps> Yes. Um, and it showed up just the other day. And it's like, you know, when you just get a truly beautiful looking book and you just kind of stare at it for a while. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. actually, this is a, this goes back to a, an old pet peeve of yours that like horror books get notoriously terrible covers, just uh-huh. really bad, especially if they're from a small press. There's something about horror books that they just are like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, here's Put some word art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's nice too to like completely on the other end of that, a press that is dedicated to, yeah, I'm going to make this look astounding. So yeah, that's what I got. Awesome. Austin, how about you? What I bought is a stack of books, Hell yeah. um, which I read actually really glacially slow. <laughs> the reason I bought a stack, um, I, usually, I usually have like restraint. Um, and I usually go and buy like one or two things from a bookstore. Um, but it was my, it was one of my first in-person bookstore visits, not my only one. Um, but in a while it is, it has been my first. Um, and I was at uh, print a bookstore in Portland, Maine. Um, great store. Yeah. And they recently started doing, you can make an appointment. Um, for like you and your party, you know, your party of like one other person um, to go for half an hour. You are the only people in the bookstore. Cool. Um, and it's the the bookseller who works there. Uh, we had Josh. Hi, Josh. Thank you, Josh. Um, and and you and that's it for half an hour. Um, and it's so lovely. Uh, and so I I in the sheer joy of being in a bookstore, got myself a giant stack. So I have um, What's Mine and Yours by Naeem Acosta, um, Luster, Raven Leilani, uh, Because Internet by Gretchen McCulloch, because as soon as I, it's the internet linguistics. I have, I have, to, I have to have that book. Um, the Rise and Fall of Adam and Eve, which is not, uh, yeah, it, it's by Stephen Greenblatt. Um, and I'm okay. writing... The, the next book I'm writing is about Satan. So it turns out a lot of Adam and Eve in there. Um, and then also Future Home of the Living God by Louise Erdrich. Um, and I, that one was on a, that one was on a like, like end cap. And I was just like, this looks pretty and good. Um, nice. and, <laughs> and I'm in a bookstore, so I can do that again. Um, so cool. So just, a, just an absolute stack of books. That's what a awesome. great reading list. Oh, it's going to be, and it, it, I'm just very pleased. I love um, the way that you keep looking over at it, like so lovingly. I, just, <laughs> I, can, I can see the love in your eyes. It's just, I, I placed it like front and center so that I can, wherever I am in my home, see it. It's a beautiful <laughs> stack of books. That's awesome. All right, Christopher. 
we've been sent a couple really awesome things that I'm very excited about. Um, the first is um, The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo. Um, it's a retelling of The Great Gatsby. And I don't oh, really yeah. know much more about that, but, you know, it's the first of these, like, I'm going to retell The Great Gatsby because it's in the um, public domain now that I've seen and actually got really interested in. And then the other book is um, Matt Bell's Appleseed, which comes out later this year. And it covers thousands of years, apparently. And it starts with apple tree planters as they make their way across America, I think. Mm -hmm. And then just deals with their generations afterwards. I'm um, so excited about that book. And not just because insane. I'm now working at a cider place up the street. <laughs> it just, I mean, I, I love apples. I'm sort of obsessed with apples in a lot of ways. And um, so the looking at Johnny Appleseed and, and making up your own myth for it sounds incredible. So I'm very excited. All right. We're all also very excited to get into We Are Watching Eliza Bright. Austin, would you do the thing for anybody who hasn't read it yet? Like, what's your elevator pitch? What's the, the synopsis that you would want to give our readers? Cool. So the elevator pitch is We Are Watching Eliza Bright is a book about um, Eliza and her cohort of people um, who all work at Fancy Dog Games. And Eliza experiences some sexism on her team um, and decides to handle it uh, by going to a journalist. Um, the, and then it gets worse for her from there, downward spiral <laughs> from there. Um, and it is narrated collectively and unreliably by Reddit for most of the book, um, with the exception of some chapters that are collectively and unreliably narrated by a queer uh, commune in Queens, New York. Oof. That so is my elevator. <laughs> That's so, so good. It's so good. It's such a, a wild ride of a book. And I'd love to talk to you about, um, I remember when we were first chatting about it, when we first met um, and we were talking about Jane Austen and how that's what inspired you in some ways. And I'd love to talk to, tell us more about that. <laughs> so uh, the book, among other things, um, to give us some touchstones of things that are perhaps reliable, um, contains uh, emails, um, transcripts of G chats, and one um, in one case, um, transcript of Signal and a transcript of Internet Relay Chat (IRC), um, and uh, it has these artifacts essentially of communication um, that are epistolary in nature. Uh, excepting for the fact, of course, that it's the internet, so letters work much faster. Uh, <laughs> but the actual function of letters in, a, in the book, even if they are letters that are instantly transmitted, um, the, they work the same way. Um, and so one of the touchstones for how to use letters um, and this kind of social intrigue that can come from letters um, and the kind of misunderstandings that can come from letters, they are reliable and also um, you are, if you are not one of the people in the conversation, there are things that you will miss. Mm -hmm. um, all of that functions in Jane Austen's work. And I was specifically thinking about Pride and Prejudice, um, which is my favorite book of all time. Mm -hmm. um, I know, right? Like looking at me, you wouldn't, you wouldn't guess that my favorite book of all time is Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, but it is. Um, I love it so much. Uh, and that is, that is what I was thinking about when I included G chats and emails. Um, it's just letters, but faster. I really <laughs> love that. I have never thought about it like that. And I don't, I now feel like this is, that's such a cool idea that I will never be able to unthink about that, that like conceptually it's the same thing, just really fast. I mean, I think, so it, I, I think that most things about the internet, like people treat the internet as if it's this like bleeding edge space. And in some ways it is, but we are the same kinds of creatures that are accessing <laughs> it that we have always been. Um, and so a lot of the ways the internet functions there, it's not necessarily new, um, even if it feels really new. Uh, it's just bigger, <laughs> <laughs> 
or faster or like uh, turned up in some way, but uh -huh. the actual underpinning of it is, is incredibly old. Um, at least that's how I think of it. Uh, when I teach, I teach digital storytelling. When I teach, um, I teach a unit called memeology. Um, <laughs> and memes are not new either. Um, right. I teach it against the um, Susan Sontag's notes on camp. Mm -hmm. uh, uh -huh. Every there, the ways of looking at the internet and the ways of looking at the world, like it's, it is just it, it, in the same way that everything is, history is on repeat. That's, I really love that. That's so true. One of the things that your um, your pitch didn't go into is the ga the game that they're all working on, um, and it's I love the game. It's so interesting. It's superheroes that you're playing as, but it's your own sort of spin on on a bunch of types of games. And uh, how did you go about creating it and um, playing it in your head? It's called uh, Guilds of the Protectorate. It's, it's gone through several names. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it, I wanna say that some of it went through several iterations, except like I had such a clear picture of it um, when I started writing. I started writing it with the very first scene in the book, which takes place inside the game. Um, and it's it, it, that is that is unusual for me to start at the beginning. Um, <laughs> uh, but in this case, I did. Um, and um, in terms of like, it, does, have you ever had the experience of something just like leaping fully formed into your head? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the superhero game leapt fully formed into my head. Uh, what it looks like, what it feels like. Um, it's got a real comic booky feel to it. Um, a really camped up feel to it. Um, and it jumped straight into my head because it deals in um, moral alignment mm -hmm. um, in a really uh, interesting way. Uh, and I wanted to juxtapose the characters that, um, that we see in neat space, in physical space with their avatars in digital space. Um, as projections of how they see themselves and as projections of how they hope to be. Mm -hmm. um, and superheroes and supervillains in some cases uh, get it, gets at that really specifically. Um, I wanna say that that was intentional from the beginning and it of course wasn't. It was, I, the book started as a two page assignment in a lit seminar in my MFA program. And then I looked down and I had written 13 pages um, <laughs> for the two page assignment. And the, to be honest, the assignment was um, in the style of Motorman. Um, mm. Yeah, right, weird. Um, if you've ever read Motorman, this sounds nothing like Motorman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what it was was the sort of like weirdness of the projected body mm -hmm. um, that, that I wound up uh, looking at in this, like in the superhero bodies. Cool. Um, because these people essentially like build their own, build their own second body, mm -hmm. um, and their own second life, uh, in the context of this massively multiplayer online role-playing game. So that is, and it's gone through iterations in terms of like, like I said, the name has changed. Um, it used to be Leagues of the Protectorate. Um, I changed it on the advice of a friend of mine um, who thought it called too much to League of Legends, mm -hmm. which the, the game isn't like, like it's not, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very different. <laughs> uh, so I changed it. Uh, but the basics of it have been pretty, pretty same mm -hmm. through the process. That's so cool. I have been dying to ask you since I started reading this, honestly, since Christopher told me about the book, I don't know, easily more than a year ago. And I've just been anticipating it the whole time. Um, so much of the book being written from the point of view of Reddit, but really like just the worst part like the four chaniest mm -hmm. point of view and it's it's you know we we have all seen in real time just how toxic that can get 
But what was it like sort of writing in that headspace for so much of this book? Yeah. And it took me five years. Um, so, so I was writing, I was writing as Reddit, the whole of it for five years. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, and actually I joke the whole of Reddit. It's actually not the whole of Reddit. It is a small vocal minority. Um, they are just very vocal (laughs) and, um, you know, I, I used to joke that it was like giving the internet a proctology exam. I was just staring, (laughs) staring at the butthole of the internet. (laughs) <laughs> um, for a really, really long time. Um, and that is true. And that is also me making light of how dreadful and difficult it is to try to inhabit that voice. Um, because the, the specific voice is one of incels and men's rights activists and um, these really disaffected gamers that um, we might call the manosphere uh, mm. today. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't have a name when I started, um, but it was this collection of people um, that we now call the Manosphere. Um, and what sucks about it, um, or what what I realized while I was doing it, um, is it, I actually someone asked me like, was it rough on your on your like emotional sensibility to write as these people? Um, and yes, it was, but because it highlighted for me, A, how much of our world sounds like this. Um, yeah. It's not just Reddit and it's not just the worst of Reddit, but the the ideas that underpin this voice are really prevalent everywhere. Um, and also how much of it was already inside me um, mm. and that I don't endorse. But just from, <laughs> just from the fact of living in the society that we live in, that somehow made it in. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And what it did do, um, like that is emotionally difficult to realize that like, oh, everyone, me and everyone I love has the Reddit voice in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not unique to the internet. Um, mm-hmm. it, is, it is ported onto the internet and amplified, but it is not a result of the internet. It is the result of people. Um, and, you know, how do I, how, like, how do I interface with that knowledge? And the nice part about having you know, thought so hard about how they talk is that I am better able to pick out their voice inside me than Mm -hmm. I was. Um, And so when I find it arising, either, um, you know, the small voice in the back of your head um, that thinks something and you go like, what, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Um, Or the even, I won't say even worse, but um, perhaps even more upsetting times where it turns on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something about myself that, that I don't endorse, that I do not approve of, um, I'm better able to say, oh, I know where this voice is coming from. It's not actually coming from me. Mm. It made it in here, but it's not naturally arising. I know because I looked at it for a really long time and I know where it's coming from. Um, and so I can say, I do not approve. I do not endorse. Let's change this narrative that, that. I have inherited from the world that I live in. Um, and that's been a really interesting side effect of having written in it for so long. Yeah. I think that ends up being a side effect of reading the book too, is you end up feeling, one of the things that you you come away with is you realize how much the internet assumes. There's just so much assumption done online that you just think you know a lot of stuff that you don't actually, you've just been building and building on top of assumption after assumption. And this book made me realize how much of the internet is based around creating narratives out of nothing. You know, that did, I, you- did I ever tell you like what would be actual concrete, like there was an event where that decided me on, on it. Um, and I, I don't know if I ever told you about that. Um, there was, so I was actually, I was, playing a lot with like how the narrators know the things they know mm-hmm. um, for a little while I was like doing a lot of research into surveillance um, and having them watch people through cameras I had a couple of like like 20 page stretches of the of the draft that were that made use of that kind of technology it is side note really also really upsetting to research that and I do not recommend it <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't recommend it one bit um, 
but something happened. I'm a massive nerd. Um, if you could not tell from my video game book, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge nerd. Um, but my heart is actually not as much in video games as writing a video game book might, might, might imply. My heart is in tabletop role-playing games, um, specifically in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, and as part of my really uh, amazing obsession with Dungeons and Dragons, I watch a, a set of video game voice actors play Dungeons and Dragons for three to five hours every week, um, every Thursday. It's called Critical Role. Mm. And I've yeah. been watching, uh, have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's brilliant. And if you've never interfaced with it, I highly it's recommend so good. it. It's so good. <laughs> um, and it's, and it's especially good during, during pandemic times, cause you get to watch friends friend with each other, mm-hmm. um, and also escape this reality. Mm, <laughs> chef's kiss. Um, but I've been watching since like way early. Um, and there was actually a cast member that they used to have that's not on there anymore. Um, and something happened. I don't know what, um, no one really knows what, uh, but, uh, they, there was a schism, um, and that cast member left the cast of Critical Role and the cast of Critical Role, uh, specifically the dungeon master and the production team got on the internet, looked straight into the camera and told the internet full of their rabid fans, um, called the critters not to speculate about why this cast member had left. Um, and I popped me some popcorn <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. and watched everyone who had formed a parasocial relationship with, with this group of people because they friend publicly together. So it really feels like you do know them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's constructed, obviously, like that is part of the brand of this show. That is part of how it functions. It's part of why it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has formed this parasocial relationship. And so I watched Reddit talk like they'd been in the room when this was decided. I watched Reddit talk like they knew these people really intimately. I watched them cite parts of videos to prove that what they were saying was true. Um, And don't get me wrong, the critters are actually really lovely. Um, the, The community that I'm writing about in the book, the community that is narrating is a Gamergate community. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what it is. Um, and the critters are not that, um, but the way that they, that they built on their assumptions um, mm-hmm. is what decided me, oh, they, they, some of the, the ways that they know what they know, um, they're making it up. Mm. Yeah. And they, they themselves are convinced that they're right. Mm. Uh, and so it doesn't always sound like they're making it up. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are these moments hearing you say that it's making me think differently about moments in the book too, which is really fun because I don't know. I feel like even when you are reading a book that you can tell has an unreliable narrator from jump, you still are trying to find ways to be like, okay, but this is the story that's being told to me. So I guess, should I believe it? And there's, I'm thinking of one particular scene in a coffee shop and I won't say too much more, but that idea that, the narrators are like, we're there, we're in this coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And that, that realization of like, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And like, like the, sort of that tension is shot throughout the entire book. But even the moments where you're like, oh yeah, I believe this. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to, this is reminding me to like more or less doubt everything. <laughs> <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, I'd love for you to talk about the Sixterhood and um, how that evolved because that voice was really different when the the book first came across my desk. Yeah, they didn't exist. <laughs> and now, and now it's a completely different thing in the book that people get to read. And so, I'd love for uh, you to go into that. Yeah. So when you first saw the book, and this is earlier than I've discussed at all with like anyone um, <laughs> that. Uh, the back quarter of the book was completely different. Um, mm-hmm. Suzanne, uh, the character that is most closely connected with the Sixterhood, which is a queer um, commune uh, of artists that live in a warehouse um, illegally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, they, Suzanne had a partner and they went to the partner's house. The partner was a, a 
super good hacker. Um, and Christopher was actually like, this this person solves all the problems and is too good and she should have her own book down the line and you should cut her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and I was, I it was one of those moments where like, I loved writing her. I loved her weird house. I loved everything about her and damn it, you were right. <laughs> and so she had to go. Um, and I had to solve the problem of, okay, so where does, where do they go? Um, the, there, this happens that a, they encounter the sisterhood, the sisterhood intervenes um, at a point where um, Eliza is sort of at rock bottom. And so I need her to go somewhere and someone has to intervene and they can't solve every problem. Like, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like my original character did. Um, and also at the same time that I was thinking about this, I was also having a real crisis about, and I don't know that you knew this at the time, Christopher, um, about what I was accidentally saying about collectives and community mm. by portraying only this really toxic Reddit collective. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not actually something I believe or feel about community. Um, community is actually the greatest blessing in my life. Um, my, and specifically queer community. And you know, for me, specifically trans community as well. Um, I love me a collective. It's why I'm drawn to the collective narrator. Um, and um, I was like, is there something, am I accidentally making an argument here about you know, group think as, mm-hmm. as community and the, or about toxicity as community that I am actually not okay with? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I turn that battleship now that I've had, now that I have a whole book that's narrated by Reddit. <laughs> um, and so the, the sisterhood was introduced as an entity then, um, to combat what I had accident, like this argument that I had accidentally made. Mm. Um, and the sisterhood is an extremely intentional community. Um, they exist in physical space, not just on digital space, although they have, elements of themselves on digital space as well. Um, and uh, it was my answer to myself in terms mm. of like, what am I actually saying here? And do I actually agree with it? Um, it they did not become a narrator until 2020. Wow. Um, <laughs> that was a real late ad. Um, and it was actually my editor, Seema Mahanian's suggestion. Mm. Um, because I had said in the text that the Reddit collective is so far removed from the sisterhood as a space from their warehouse that they can't actually picture what's going on inside it. And yet they were narrating and it didn't make total sense. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Seema was like, I have a crazy idea. <laughs> what if, what if the parts that are inside this warehouse are narrated by the sisterhood um, as a collective? Mm. And I was like, that is correct. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm immediately doing it. And it was a massive rewrite. Um, mm-hmm. It took two, it took two rounds of edits to get right. Um, uh, because I did the rewrite and they sounded too similar mm-hmm. to the Reddit collective. Um, so Seema and I got on the phone and basically analyzed like at a prose level, like at a sentence level, what what the Reddit narrator sounded like. And then what I did was I sat down and I drew a line and made the opposite choice. Cool. Uh, oh, cool. For, for the sisterhood. Um, and when I looked at the accumulation of the choices um, on both fronts, um, having them like in front of me together actually clarified the Reddit narrator too, which was really interesting. Cool. Um, because what I wound up figuring out um, was that the narrators are, aside from being entities in and of themselves, are stand-ins for larger concepts um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, for instance, the Reddit narrator, um, I think of it in terms of um, logical conditions on computers, like encoding languages. Um, there's, um, you know, computers are a handful of circuits. Basically, they operate on binary, um, zero or one. Uh, open circuit or closed circuit, is there electricity in the circuit or is there not? Mm-hmm. Um, so computers are actually really simple creatures, but they are very fast. Um, they are fast and stupid is what I like to tell my students. <laughs> People are smart. Computers are fast and stupid. Um, and um, 
therefore, uh, when coding on computers, it runs on really strict logic. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are two kinds of operators that one frequently sees when talking about technology, the OR operator, which is the code fires if any of the operands are true. Mm -hmm. um, and then Reddit narrators say OR a lot, and then they narrate something completely different mm -hmm. that might also have taken place. Um, the Sixterhood only ever says AND. Um, which is the other kind of operator and operator that code fires off if and only if all of the operands are true. Yeah. So they create unreliability in a completely different way. Interesting. Um, and uh, I, when the Sixerhood is speaking, all of these things are true, not just one and which one, it's everything, everything mm -hmm. is true. Um, and so it wound up being essentially Reddit, uh, the Reddit narrators representing a scarcity mindset and the sixterhood representing abundance. Um, huh. Wow. And then it, having that discussion and having that, having them play against each other clarified both. Wow. Um, which was really fun to do. Yeah. That yeah. Sounds, fun. <laughs> sounds super fun. I love this. Um, I love the larger system that's applied. It's very cool. And I'd love to say that that was like super intentional. Like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I did the exercise and then looked at what I had. So yeah. it, I got to get like super, super strange. And I, um, in a way that was still really accessible. Right. Like, it's still, still, yeah. It's still this crazy. I mean, the, it's still this crazy page turner. I mean, like, that's the thing is just like, you're never with anybody or with a situation for very long before we're moving, we're moving. The entire thing is, is you know, systems firing. I want to talk about this internet versus the internet of the book that you brought us because it's, it, it's so crazy to think that these are the same internet because it doesn't seem like they are, but they are. I mean, uh, Drew and I were talking about this before you came online. It's this. It's kind of even the same time period, almost like this. These things could have been happening at the same time, and this is Patricia Lockwood's. No one is talking about this. Um, why? Why did you bring this book to us, Austin? So um, it's about the internet. <laughs> That's why I bought it. It was actually in my my print bookstore run. It was one of the things that I bought, um, but I didn't say it in the stack because we're going to talk about it more deeply. Um, and you know, give me put put a book to to quote Patricia Lockwood directly. Put it in my veins. <laughs> if it's a book about the internet, put it in my veins. I want to read it um, because I think about the internet all the time. <laughs> um, so that's why I picked it up. Um, and at the time I suggested bringing it, I had not yet read it. I was okay. like, I was like, but I know, I know that I am going to have 6 million things to say. And I read the first <laughs> page and I was like, and it's beautiful. So I know I'm going to love it. And I know I'm going to have a lot of thoughts. Um, so that is why I picked it. So this book um, is narrated by someone who has um, been lauded for their po position on the internet, that they are a commentator online and people like them for it. And it's sort of about them traveling from place to place, giving talks, it seems, or being in conversation with people about the internet. And then slowly the book sort of switches gears to being about the, uh, narrator's relationship with her sister and the her sister's baby and it's a bizarre reading experience it's especially when you think i i mean they i can't help but think of these books as connected um partially because we're talking about them on the podcast together <laughs> but also just because like you know there there's just you you think of the internet as 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 one monolith and it's not, it's little, like it's little countries, it's little fiefdoms. Um, and, you know, the, the internet that um, Patricia Lockwood is portraying is happening at the same time. But like, I don't even think like many of these people would talk to each other or, and know <laughs> that they're on the same internet. Did you get that feeling? 
who, who, which one of us are you asking? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's for the, it's for the class. <laughs> for the class, question for the class. I think I, see, I was reading this and I, I was thinking that these internets are far more connected than the pros would, would suggest. Okay. Um, because can a dog be twins? That is, that is <laughs> yeah. what is, um, that is, that, that's what the narrator is most known for as opposed says, can a, can a dog be twins? Um, and the, I'm going to buy it my, for 70 million Bitcoin as an NFT. Oh, God. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Um, <laughs> NFTs um, make me so angry, like, <laughs> rationally angry. I, I have a million things to say about <laughs> NFTs, but that is not what we are talking about. Right now. <laughs> um, but like my my narrators would absolutely both narrators would have interfaced with that meme <laughs> immediately, um, and both would have laughed at it for really different reasons. Um, and so it, I was actually seeing a lot more similarity here um, than I than I think. I, I don't know. Than I think might be reasonable, uh, <laughs> specifically with um, what seems to be. Um, the the vignetted chapters um mm -hmm. or the in the in this case not chapters um but they're everything is really really vignetted um the sort of argument made about attention span in choosing that as a form yeah um and it's also really propulsive it feels like an endless scroll yeah uh, and like that is like when like at least for me like when writing a book about the internet like that was on purpose um and it seems really intentional here as well um, and so I, I, when you're like, these internets seem really different, um, they actually didn't feel really different to me. The way that the narrators talk about these internets are really different. Um, and so the personal experience of that, that digital space is super different, but the, the digital space part, um, you know, the, all of those communities are talking with each other um, and they are having contact with each other. They are in conversation with each other, sort of no matter what the Lockwood book is like kind of it's both showing what it's like to be extremely online and sort of looking at a like and how how to move out of that world like it ends up more feeling like it's more rooted in meat space in a way that everybody and we're watching Eliza Bright is present on the internet present in meat and like even at the end of the book there is still really a sense of the two worlds coexisting Mm -hmm. like the internet world and our world. Whereas I feel like at the end of the Lockwood book, sort of that sense of like, of, of wanting to be more rooted in the real world, like addressing an imbalance almost mm -hmm. in a way that I feel like, even though it's a, a negative thing in some ways, the characters in Eliza Bright are, have some kind of balance, mm -hmm. even well, if they've I'm decided push to, on. yeah. I'm going to push on because you started to say the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to push on that as a concept. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think the internet is just as real as physical space. Yeah. The and consequences think, are real. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, to me, that is the key difference between the internets of these two books is that mm. like, you know, is that Lockwood has it as though it's this like sphere that you enter into and then you can leave. And it seems like the narrator is sort of, I, I don't know. It, it feels like the way that the internet has morphed her mind has made it difficult to exist in the real world and too, you, you know, you're too arch, you're too um, sarcastic for the real world to exist. Um, while it, in, in Eliza Bright, I feel like the, it's all about how Yes, this has real work. What happens here also affects us no matter what. There's no like, oh, I'm, I can leave that sphere because you're just always in it, even because it's just part of life. Yep. Um, yeah. I guess in that sense, yeah, they are very different. In <laughs> well, there's something too about like the Lockwood book. I think that there are a lot of people who do believe that. I think I, even in my own evolution of sort of understanding the internet and its place in my life, like I have started to catch myself exactly in the way that just happened of like, it's not the real world, it's meat space. Like the two things together exist in and make up the real world. The real world is the entire bubble of all of it. 
But I think that there are still a lot of people, even a lot of extremely online people, and maybe this has started to change in a dramatic way because of the pandemic and everybody's been inside and on the internet a lot more. Mm-hmm. But like, like Patricia Lockwood having that sense or, or her narrator um, having that sense of being able to leave and then realizing like, oh, what is it I'm leaving? What it right. like there's, it's not, it's not so transient. It's not a threshold after all. Like the idea of this, you go through the portal or the portal is like, it's not, it's not that. It's not a different world. It's the same world. Well, I think that the separation comes from when you're experiencing something that isn't post, like, can we post this? It's like a, is, is a chorus question. It's something that comes up over and over in, in Lockwood's book. Um, can we post this? Can we post about this? You know, I think that that's what she's referring to is that space where there's stuff that's happening in your life that isn't online, that no one has pictures of that they're posting online, mm. that like no one else has like a pithy comment for because it's just happening to you. And I think that that's where the line is drawn. But I, I feel like I don't know how useful that line really is. Or um, it's 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 an interesting line to look at, but I don't it, it I think it's more imaginary than Lockwood's narrator thinks. One thing that I loved about uh, the the book is um, this that sort of note card style that you were talking about the um, Mary Robeson inspired. Um, it's Maggie Nelson esque, or um, depending on who you want to say brought up that style Mm -hmm. to the point where I actually started enjoying some of it more when I was thinking of it as poetry, that some of the sections are very just beautiful prose poems. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that that's really kind of a neat thing that she's able to do. I mean, it's like, it feels like that's her lane. Like she's very good at turning a tweet into poetry Mm -hmm. in a way that I feel like uh, a lot of other people try to do it and there's not quite this like there's a reason that the Miette tweets are like not only so funny but sort of found throughout the weirdest and most disparate corners of the internet and everybody's like her cat's still really funny mm-hmm. like there's I don't know there's something unifying and powerful about that in a way that I feel like 200 years ago it was like oh did you read the new Byron poem right <laughs> right that was the sense that I got while I was reading this. Um, and it seems like there, um, there is an argument that the internet is like special in that way. And I don't think that it, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think that it is. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that, I think that humans do this. Yeah. Um, and the, in particular, I'm thinking about, um, some of the ways like that selfhood is conceptualized in, in this, I, I've, I marked one, uh, why were we all writing like this now? Because a new kind of connection had to be made and a blink, synapse, little space between was the only way to make it. Or because, and this was more frightening, it was the way the portal wrote. Um, mm. And then again on 72, um, it had also once been the place where you sounded like yourself. Gradually it had become the place where we sounded like each other. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so like but I think that humans do that um right. like I don't think it's actually unique to the internet at all um though I think that it has to be present in any book about the internet we obviously have so much more we can talk about here and about both of these books and just talk about we are watching Eliza Bright alas a podcast episode is only so long uh, <laughs> So I would love to hear what um, what you guys are going to all recommend. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. Drew, do you want to recommend something? Sure. Okay. Oh, right. These are two internet books that we were just talking about. And I went with two books that feel much more um, rooted in, rooted in like in, in meat space, I guess. Uh, one of them is the new Stephen Hall book, Maxwell's Demon. 
Mm. He wrote the raw shark texts uh, that came out, oh God, 15 years ago. Um, and he was named one of Granta's best young UK novelists. And it has taken him this long to write his second book. He was working in video games for a while, actually. Um, this new book is absolutely worth the wait. It, it engages in a lot of the same on the page visual trickery that raw shark did where um there are leaves that get blown throughout the story and the leaves are footnotes and so the footnote is like the shape of an oak leaf or a maple leaf and then the footnote is in the shape of that and they like move through the all sorts of just wild crazy things um with a lot of like very metaphysical thought about language and language as god but all kind of under the guise of a thriller, a like missing person, um, man who knew too much kind of thriller. It's, I, it's just a delight. I, it's one of those books that I feel like I'm going to need to go back to because there's so much in there that absolutely tickled me while I was reading it that I continue to think about. And I want, I want my wheels to spin even further by reading it again. Um, and the other book, uh, we got this as a galley months and months ago from the folks at Catapult. And I just picked it up on a whim. Went to that sort of like, I want to read something. I want no expectations and pulled it off of my TBR and absolutely fell in love with it. It fell down so far down the rabbit hole of this book. It's called Dead Souls by Sam Riviere. Uh, it comes out in May, I believe. So this is technically a pre-order recommendation. It's very much like uh, Camus' The Fall in that it's like this guy on the South Bank of London. He's at a literary conference, kind of stream of consciousness-ish. He ends up in this bar talking to this disgraced poet. And the poet is disgraced because um, there's this new algorithm that has been launched to make sure that poets aren't stealing from one another. And he's been blackballed because his poems didn't hit the threshold. But the conversation just goes into this sort of all of these weird, Christopher, I know you're going to hate this. Um, <laughs> but like, it's one of my favorite things about late era David Lynch, where he's like, I'm just going to put the camera on this conversation that maybe connects, that maybe goes in, and like, and suddenly something kind of strange happens, but it's all rooted in just this conversation that these two people are having over one night in a hotel bar on the South Bank. And at the end of it, I just, I was totally floored in a way that I think it, I haven't been floored like that in a long time by a book. I really, really loved it. I think that a lot of people are going to be like, what the fuck? But <laughs> if you're well, one of those people, if you like uh, Matthias Ennard's Zone that John Darnielle brought on the show, um, if you like Camus, read this book and hit me up. I'm dying to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> I love that the publicist for this book keeps like emailing with like, not that dead souls. It's a different <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's a different one. It's not the Google's. It's someone else's, but you, um, you'll like it as much maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough comparison, but it's it really tough. good. It's really good. Anyway. Um, so those are my two. Austin. Um, I am not going to recommend books because I, I read a stack of them out before <laughs> and uh and i mean it, it also goes without saying that i highly recommend no one is talking about this i fucking loved this book yeah um i am instead going to recommend um two things um i would like to first recommend the abstract concept of hope um mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy and i'll tell you why <laughs> i will tell you why it's been a very bad year um, but, uh, by happenstance, um, just by the sheer luck of luck of the gods, um, uh, I wound up fully vaccinated. Um, and so I can see, I can see the other side now. Um, and it so happens that now folks around me are also getting vaccinated. And so I can really see the other side now. Um, and I just want to recommend thinking about this as though it is not going to be forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and the second thing that I will recommend is sort of a concretization of that spirit, um, uh, which is I would like to recommend uh, colorful jumpsuits regardless of gender presentation. Uh, because um, there is something really joyful about a jumpsuit. 
I think uh, there is no waistline. Uh, so there is, there is really comfortable and also somehow put together, um, you know, a fashion sensibility to that. Um, and, uh, you can get them in just ear splittingly bright colors, um, <laughs> uh, which I truly, uh, think is, is necessary for combating, um, the, the opposite of hope that I won't <laughs> even, I won't even call in here by name. Um, and that you can get them at Wild Fang. Um, you can get them at Big Bud Press. I think Wild Fang just had just released a really neon pink one. Mm. Um, but Big Bud has like the whole rainbow with short and long sleeves. And I highly Ooh. recommend getting yourself a jumpsuit uh, and then putting on a mask and going into the world in your jumpsuit. <laughs> I this, love that. I'm kind of sold. Like, I want a jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, you've done a great job. I now I really want one. <laughs> You too can have a jumpsuit. I am planning a, an all jumpsuit wardrobe uh, <laughs> nice. for my for my reentry into society uh, because <laughs> because I because I just want a lot of happiness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm ready for the jewel toned future. That's my hope. I just feel like everybody is going to be really peacocking around wearing their brightest plumage, and I'm very excited about it. All right, what are you recommending? I'm going to recommend a very little book that I looked into because Drew, you posted, um, anybody remember these and McCaffrey books? Um, and I was like, oh yeah, I read so many dragon books when I was a kid. And I was like, yeah, Anne McCaffrey's dealing with dragons. And I looked uh -huh. it up, not by her, it was no. by someone else. I've actually never read Anne McCaffrey. <laughs> Wait, but I've read on. Really? What I've, what I've read was Patricia C. Reed's W-R-E-D-E, Dealing with Dragons series. It is fantastic. It's young adult or whatever, but honestly, it's just wonderful. It's about a princess who doesn't want to be a princess because she's like, I want to do something that's at least a little interesting with my life. That's not embroidery. And she decides like, I'm going to go um, be a, drag a dragon's princess, which is a thing. And just everything about it is completely delightful. It was one of these books that, you know, it came out in the 90s and you, you never know when you go back to something like that if it's going to hold up. And it honestly could have been written yesterday. And it's just so, so sweet. I'm ready to deep dive all the way down and read the entire series again. Yeah. But Dealing with Dragons is the first one. Um, it's awesome. And I guess I need to read some Anne McCaffrey too because I didn't, um, it turns out. <laughs> I would have sworn up and down that Dealing with Dragons was by Anne McCaffrey. Right? I would have sworn up and down. Not the only one. They, <laughs> they, they were actually my sister's books and I stole them off her shelf. So thank you to my sister for letting me steal books off her shelf when I was a kid. And uh, there's, it's still good. I, I, I love it so much. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, you can, no, no disrespect to Anne McCaffrey, but you can skip them. <laughs> they did they did not quite hold up to the memory of my childhood reading of those books if you want if you want more in this vein my childhood touchstone does hold up okay. um and even holds up on twitter in the face of the jk rowling turf situation mm. um and that is tamora pierce Ooh. and there are so many y'all there are so many you can get lost <laughs> in that for a minute <laughs> um, and uh, I, you know, I, in speaking to a lot of transmasculine people, as I am want to do a trans mask myself, um, there are a lot of folks who have the root of um, Alana in the books about Tortal, um, uh, because uh, she dresses up as a boy to go for knighthood mm. uh, instead of being a lady. Awesome. Uh, so. Highly recommend if that is if if this is in the vein of like things that you are looking for right now, Hell and there yeah. are just so many you will not run out uh, for for a hot second. Oh, I love that's it. Great, I love it. The other thing that I can recommend wholeheartedly is we are watching Eliza Bright. Yeah, it's an amazing novel. It's got so many levels to it. You can just read it as a straight thriller. And then there's so many other things that go on underneath all of that. Um, it's, it's a total pleasure to read. So thank you for writing it, Austin. Yeah, congratulations. Thank and thank you for representing it, Christopher. Hey, <laughs> it's a true pleasure. 
to the people out there um, in the world that are listening, uh, we really appreciate when you go buy the books we talk about. We also like when you leave us iTunes reviews. We really like those. I screenshot them and share them with Drew. Um, yep. And they when it's multiple paragraphs, that's really when it's the best. <laughs> oh yeah, that's when they really kick. Yeah. And uh, and we also really appreciate it when you go to our Patreon and uh, pledge us some dollars. It just means we keep the lights on and we can continue buying crazy cocktail ingredients. And such. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. Thank you for coming on, Austin. And you know, I wish I had a pithy thing to sign off with. Yeah, I we don't never have really. A, we never came up with one. No, it's just you know what it is. It's because we don't need one. We can just say bye, just like in the real world. That's true, because we'll see you again. Yeah. In the real world, Drew. Damn it! <laughs>